Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have John Wick Chapter 2, starring Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Common, Ruby Rose, and Ian McShane, directed by Chad Stileski. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. We're engaging in film two in this Baba Yaga cast with John Wick Chapter 2. And last week was an interesting discussion on John Wick Chapter 1. And here we are in the middle film of this franchise, which I had actually only seen once uh, when it came out. So my viewing yesterday was it was it was kind of good, kind of good to see this again and kind of where they progress this story. But we're going to be having some more of the Hudson's uh, baby baby bourbon, which we opened up last week. This was some pretty good bourbon, didn't you think so, Matt? We yeah, loved it. Excellent. There you go, Jesse. Thank you. You're welcome. And we've had some pretty good uh, viewer uh, engagement this week. You know, we had a uh, our conversation was all kind of about uh, top eighties uh, films. So we got some pretty good uh, options here. Uh, from from John, we uh, he had mentioned Batman. I'm assuming the '89 one, which you know I'm gonna thumbs that one up. The Untouchables, De Palma, uh-huh. and Big Trouble in Little China, which I commented to to John. Uh, your list certainly had Cracker Jack timing. Uh, to Horbuff 1981, he actually listed a bunch, but like honestly, it was such a great decade. You could totally interchange so many of these action films from. Highlander to Commando to Tango and Cash also mentioned Big Trouble in Little China Roadhouse License to Kill like it was just probably like monthly these were coming out like just like great engaging films like in in the action genre like the emergence of Chuck Norris and uh, Dolph Lundgren Stallone Schwarzenegger Bruce Willis uh, it's funny that Roadhouse is on that list when I was leaving last week that one popped into my head and I was kicking myself because yeah. I love that yeah. film. Uh, just the camaraderie between Swayze and Sam Elliott mm-hmm. is terrific. Well, Sam, isn't Sam Elliott good in like everything? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's that mustache of his. It is. That, yeah. That's a really, really good list. Yeah. yeah. And then Brett commented on our post-50s actor like that we would want to see in their own action vehicle. Two pretty interesting entries. Uh, one, uh, Ken Watanabe. Uh which, you know, he's kind of dabbled in action before, but not lately. He, they just have him stoically dead in the Godzilla franchise right now. Yeah. And uh, Don Cheadle, which I find interesting because he is in the Marvel films, but it's in, to call those action vehicles is one thing. But to see Don Cheadle in like a Taken or John Wicky type of vehicle, I could see that. That, that could be fun. You, the names come up and your initial reaction is yeah i don't know at least my initial reaction and i think until that, until i see liam neeson and taken yeah and then i say oh well maybe there has been an opportunity we've missed here and i think that was the fun part of that discussion was like you see the name on paper or the picture and you're like gee i don't i can't i can't picture that at all and then when you do see it i think that's where the surprise and the expectations are just like totally like knock you out of the park agreed i almost think it works better for non-action heroes to become action stars versus the other way yes, around. Yes, I like that. We've seen a lot of action heroes try to cut their chops in, in drama. Unfortunately, some of those roles are so iconic, you can't see them as, you know, as you like to say, rock family drama, father or husband or yes. Mr. or mistress, whatever mm-hmm. you want to mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. 
but the other way around, it does seem to work. And that Liam Neeson, like Rob Roy, I guess you could make the case, <laughs> and some of the Star Wars stuff you could make the case are action films. But let's be real, they weren't taken action level yeah, kind of films. There's, there's it's such a different aesthetic compared to those. Like, yeah, it's a different ball game. Yeah. But uh, cheers to the listeners. Cheers, listeners. Cheers, Jesse. Those were all great, and great. let's keep this train going. So. The flight for this week is kind of continuing on that decades train, so let's move into the 90s now. Totally different kind of action game, so top three action films, Matt. Three, three, two, two, one, one. My third one was actually the easiest of all the three to come up. Now, mm-hmm. as I thought about it, they had two that surpassed it. Okay. Uh, it's The Crow, the mm-hmm. original The Crow. Brandon Lee. His one moment before I know. that whole entire family and that franchise that is so cursed had can, the curse arrive. Can I tell you a really interesting story? Maybe I've Please told do. you this before. Like in uh, Bruce Lee's, I believe it's Game of Death. Mm-hmm. And he, he had already died too. So that there's like this weird body double thing in, in that film. But there's this, a weird sequence where he's got to like fake his death and he's like shot. It's so eerily similar to how he died in that film. You're just like, like, yeah, talk about kind of like a curse. That's a trip. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the aesthetic was really cool. It was adapted really well. Mm-hmm. Lee looks fantastic in the makeup. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you, you hear different superheroes associated with, like, our supervillains, like the Rhino. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be, obviously, this bruising thing. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the crow? Yeah. And it, it's somehow, it's perfect for what the crow should be. Exactly. It's sleepy and dark. It's got a terrific villain. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember what that cat's name is. I do know that he's mm-hmm. actually in a Stones knockoff band that he plays in. That's actually not a joke. Yeah. He really does. Because I, I saw yeah. him play with that band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even fronted by Jagger from time to time. Okay. That's actually not a joke. Yeah, it's funny. Um, what the hell is this? I can't. We'll, I'll look it up here in a minute. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. The Crow. Um, Excellent. Bang, ka, bang, bang, fuck, I'm dead. Like that, that line, you yeah. know. That's a good one. And yeah. talk about another kind of film. Like, they've been talking about remaking The Crow for, like, the last seven or eight years with people like Bradley Cooper and Jason Momoa attached to this thing. And it just gets killed, like, right before they're about to start filming. Like, maybe the cur- the property's cursed. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Poltergeist almost. Michael Wincott. Okay. That's his name. Excellent. Top dollar. Excellent. I like that one. Thanks. Number Go. number three for me, um, maybe not the most hard-hitting action film to come out of the 90s, but talk about spawning just like a cultural phenomenon, uh, 1995's GoldenEye. You know, I think people of my generation truly remember the N64 GoldenEye game that kind of opened up multiplayer first-person shooter that you could play with a group of friends. But this is Pierce Brosnan's first outing and truly his best. You know, it was still kind of that like Cold War era bond with the great villain played by Sean Bean. Some pretty good action pieces. And it was before, you know, Pierce Brosnan really kind of fell into the Roger Moore trap of being too quippy and too much of a one-liner guy, which he fell into with his last three Bond films. But in this one, like, I, I buy it. I buy this kind of reboot of Bond that had been off the screen for nearly seven years. You love Bond. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you mm-hmm. as an offshoot to this. Okay. In the Bond franchise, mm-hmm. is that film top three ever been done? Like top three all-time Bond film, m- movies for you? Golden Eye? Maybe, maybe top five. Okay. What's your number one, by the way? 
I really like, and not a lot of people are going to say this, but I really like Thunderball. Sean Connery's fourth entry, which there's a whole story on Thunderball. We'll save that for another day. It's insane. But, you know, Golden Goldfinger gets a lot of love. So does From Rush With Love. And I love both of those ones. But Thunderball, like, I love the plot of that film. It has my favorite Bond girl in it, too. Who's that one? Uh, her name's Domino. Oh, yeah. It was the first brunette, brunette Bond girl. But love the music, love the, the the opening bit. Yeah, that one's always been my favorite. But GoldenEye's certainly up there. And talk about a franchise that's nearing its 25th entry. Uh, yeah, GoldenEye's certainly up there. It was, it was a very 90s. It, it's what Bond needed to be in 1995. I bet with the new Bond and the noise that's around the new Bond coming that mm-hmm. that's a cask in the future. We haven't, and two, we have not talked about that. We're just mm-hmm. discussing it. Don't Right, that's coming, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, at some Bond's got to be on the horizon. Okay, good. Number two. Last Boy Scout. Oh, again. Shane, I love that film. Is that Shane Black, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Before Shane Black become too, became too Shane Blacky. Mm-hmm. I, I just think the Damon Wayans character is superb. And from the opening of that film, mm-hmm. where Bruce Willis catches his wife in the middle of an, the affair, to, and not to say that Die Hard wasn't violent, mm-hmm. but the violence in that film and the level that he goes to subjugate others to it, Bruce Willis' character. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a movie that I think a lot of people that might be listening probably have not seen. Okay, There's a terrific bit in a hot tub with a football and a broken nose that I don't want to tell too much, but you should all check it out. <laughs> uh, the Last Boy Scout's superb. Okay, check, excellent. Yeah, that's I, haven't, two for me. I haven't seen that film in, in years, so I'm... I, I'm getting it confused with another Shane Blackie vehicle, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, that's interesting that he kind of like he kind of took his lethal weapon momentum into the '90s with these these type of efforts. What um, Last Boy Scout was written by Black and directed by Tony Scott. Why didn't that continue? I know that's awesome. Shame, huh? That's a good uh, partnership. Yeah. Awesome. Number two for me, we mentioned last week with Die Hard, like Die Hard spawned the countless imitators of the Die Hard on a this and a that and a whatever you want. Honestly, the best version of this had to have been Die Hard on a bus and that's Speed with our boy Keanu Reeves in it. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's intense from beginning to end. And I think, you know, Dennis Hopper as as the villain is like so perfect and you know, I kind of dig the, the uh, Sandra Bullock in, in that film as well. I don't say that about a lot of a lot of her films, but like I really, she's has to like drive the bus and keep it above fifty. Like it's she's like right in the middle of it, and each thing that happens in it is just they cause more problems and more problems and more problems until they just got to get off the damn bus. <laughs> but uh, I I really dig Speed. I think it's I don't think it gets enough love for like being. In, in the top considerations with films like Die Hard, but it, it, it should be in that conversation, I think. And if you want also a film recommendation that's kind of in the vein of Speed, but like the antithesis where Speed's about like this fast-moving uh, uh, bus, talk about a slow-moving nitroglycerin tank moving through the mountains, but such a powder keg of tension is uh, 1977 Sorcerer with Roy Scheider, directed by William Friedkin, came out the same day as Star Wars, was a total bomb, and it's a remake of a great French film, uh, Wages the, of the Fear. Wages of Fear. Like, that one's even good. But, yeah, if you want a, an underrated kind of powder keg of, of tension action, kind of in the vein of speed, check out Sorcerer. Yeah, highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. I've been telling you, you need to you need to see that for a, a long time. I need to get on that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to lose my microphone space if I don't see it soon. There you go. All right. Number one? Mm-hmm. 
Point Break. Okay. I love it. Keanu. <laughs> so the Keanu discussion that we're sort of having right now is one that we had this week. Mm-hmm. And it spawned several other questions that we couldn't quite pinpoint down into filmography, filmographies of actors and rises and falls. But regardless, it shows what a staple this man was in John Wick for a period of eight to nine years, a decade-ish. Yeah. Point Break is everything from surfing to bank robberies. And it's aptly cast with a crew that is so good that you almost, not enough almost, you want Keanu Reeves to flip to the dark side Mm -hmm. because they're so likable and the reasons that they're doing it make Robin Hood's nobility for the same thing look almost comedic. Mm -hmm. This movie is cast so well, it survives Lori Petty mm-hmm. in this movie, <laughs> yeah. which that's the head scratcher in this. Yeah, yeah. Flea's in it and he's really good. Mm-hmm. Gary Busey's in it and he's really good. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, and she, she's made, which is shot right. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, and she's made some pretty good movies. Do you like Near Dark? Uh, uh yes. Yeah, Bill Paxton. Yes. Yeah, like like she has a pretty pretty interesting filmography. But no, I'm kind of with you. Did you ever see the remake, Point Break? Uh, yeah, the X Games thing to me was left me pretty cold, so I have to admit that we made it about 30 minutes and I bailed. <laughs> That's I a movie. I didn't even see it because I was just like, I, how? Like, how could it kind of like be, be anywhere near the same? There's a lot of movies that are really good ideas that were executed poorly mm-hmm. that they never remake, and then there's a lot of really good movies that they remake that shouldn't be touched. Yeah. Yeah, Point Break is, is a master, mastery of 19. 19- early to mid 1990s action Swayze's superb uh yeah I, if you haven't seen Point Break go see Point Break yeah check it out excellent Johnny Utah Johnny Utah what a great name yep excellent number one for me you know the 90s saw a real interesting trend of like kind of action being mixed in with other genres whether that be sci-fi or you know you know like a straight adventure so I almost went with another Keanu vehicle in this one, which was the first Matrix, like yeah. being like kind of an action science fiction. But the film that does it better, and we did the first film on this podcast already, is T2 Judgment Day. Yeah. The first film is quite literally a horror film, and Cameron switched gears for T2 and turned it into just a balls-to-the-wall action film. Like that bit in the, in the prison, and then also... You know, that first kind of confrontation in the, the Los Angeles, like, Arroyos. Like, it, it's just, it's top-notch with, not, like, the CGI complements the action. It doesn't replace it. And I think that's a problem in today's big-budget action fair. I know you saw Hobbs and Shaw, but in the trailer, there was that scene of, like, they're, they, um they like, kind of, like, hook up the, the chain to the helicopter and the rock's, like, pulling it in. Like, they didn't, like, really do that. Like... <laughs> But, like, in T2, you know, they, they really did these action set pieces. They blew up half a building at, at at Cyberdyne. Like, just crazy things. You can fault Cameron for, you know, kind of stealing from other films, like with Avatar and doing these melodramatic things. But I've never been able to kind of fault him and for being an asshole on set. But with films like Aliens and... True Lies and T2, the guy knows how to stage an action set piece. So 
It's funny that Cameron and Bigelow come up in almost back-to-back sentences because <laughs> yes. former spouses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you brought up something I think that's really interesting about James Cameron. Mm. So if you compare alien to aliens. Or to action. So then the same thing with T Terminator to T2. Mm-hmm. And they're both equally successful in the same way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, that also speaks to, uh, you know, some things I want to talk about today, which is when you have a sequel, like hmm. you actually want to take it to a new place with well, doing some of the same things, but taking it into new territory. I think both of those examples did that masterfully without remaking the first film and kind of taking it out of genre like it, it just kind of works. Like, I don't know why more film franchises actually don't do that. And you know what's weird about that? I agree with you yeah. wholeheartedly. Yeah. That tends to work pretty well in film. And you know where that doesn't work well at all? Mm. Is in music. Yeah. Here's this killer album that we just released. Quadruple platinum. And now... And, and not... Again, not everything is 100%. Sure. But we see then the follow-up that tries to push the envelope. And people... I think people are more willing to take that in film, but they're not so willing to take that in their music. Sure, I, I could agree with that. I mean, that. I, I will give you, like, we've done music a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I'm going on this, but I want to do it. Go ahead. I'm going to give you Rumors to Tusk. Yeah. At that time, the best-selling album in the history of albums. Mm-hmm. And the next follow-up, although I think it's a, a progressive album, if sure, you will. Sure, yeah. It doesn't hold a candle to it that. It can't, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, and it can't. Mm-hmm. But why would you even try to? That's hard. And Rush did the same thing in the 80s. They went yeah. from hard-hitting progressive with moving pictures, Tom to Sawyer. Bones. And then, yeah, they got too synthesizer-y yep. in, the, in the 80s. And the fans don't like, like, like it's too jarring of a, of a switch. Where in film, like, Predator could have done this really well. If Predator 1 is kind of an action-in-the-jungle film... Predator 2 in Los Angeles cities, uh, that they should have went horror with that one. Like the Predator already is a boogeyman stalker. Like Yeah. Interesting. We'll have to have a discussion someday about that. Yeah. Where we sort of talk about why it tends to work better in film versus mm-hmm. music. Because now you got my my mind rolling here. Excellent. I like all those entries. Like uh, it, the, I, I forgot about the last Boy Scout until you until you mentioned it, but Generally, I think the difference between the 80s and the 90s in action for me is the 90s tend to be a bit more interstellar or science fiction-y where the 80s are a bit more urban. And a little more grungy. Like like well, like, like Point Break kind of has that kind of like grungy feel to it. Uh, God bless uh, the, to that. To yeah. God bless the 90s. Like 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 the, the music kind of changed the like the style as well. Kind of, that, that's weird to, to say, but... We have this discussion a lot mm-hmm. as an sycophantic 90s guy me yeah. and jesse the sycophantic 80s guy we have this yeah well would uh, batman be able to beat up yeah uh, the flood you know like we do this that yeah. fanboy yeah. dueling and here we are in the middle of it again awesome it's great maybe next week we'll have to just kind of keep this trend going and look at the 2000s with with action fair because talk about it changing yet again who would win superman or thor Excellent. Well, let's get right to it. Let's get to our review breakdown of John Wick Chapter 2. John Wick Chapter 2 takes place around four days after the events of where we last left John Wick, leaving with his newly acquired uh, Pitbull, I believe, right, Matt? Yes, that he's picked up at the end of the first John Wick. Yes, yes. So here we have John Wick in tow to kind of uh, 
get his final piece of revenge of what was outlaying from from the prior film, which is his car. Which I when when I left, since I hadn't only seen this film once, I was like, oh, like what? When did they do with the car? And I, I forgot it was the beginning of this film, but kind of right off the bat, you I noticed a couple different things from film one to film two, which is they definitely got since John Wick was such a sleepy hit in 2014. They got some more money to play with in this go round. Oh, you can tell. You go from a twenty million to a forty million dollar budget, so everything's just a little bit bigger and a little more glitzier. Yeah, glitzier. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you can tell in this in this in this first little in this first little scene with this this car chase through this. Um, it's uh, New York. Uh, yeah, Bigo's brother, right? Because he's the uncle to Alfie Allen. It's Peter Stromer playing a guy named Abraham Abraham Tarasov, who's like Doesn't the be- uncle to the Russian kingpin that we've seen in the first film as the main antagonist. Doesn't Peter Stromer play this character in like every movie? I think God put him on the earth. <laughs> he's this guy. guy. Well, to that then, yeah, to Peter Stromer. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's playing. Um, yeah, yeah. The the uncle to to Alfie Allen and, and brother bro, brother to Vigo and and he's kind of he's kind for whoever came in late to the John Wick franchise he's giving you like the quick catch up on here he's like he's the Bobby Yeager the boogeyman and if he comes here like we're all screwed like yeah. I like the way this is set up though it gives you enough so that there's an entry point in where if you miss the first one you're still going to be okay mm-hmm. but it doesn't bog the story down with heavy exposition essentially it's done with. Here's this really badass John Wick kicking it mm-hmm. all over the town. And then Peter Stromare talking to his henchmen. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's coming. And But go ahead. You know what I kind of noticed about this opening bit, too? And I'm not trying to compare the two because I actually think it's done better in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That was a top shelf film. But John Wick's kind of introduction in this film is a little Indiana Jones in that film. We see like him yeah. get out of his car. It's his feet like in shadow. Um, he's got the garrote wire and he chokes out a dude and he punches. They're always punching people in necks in this movie. It, hurt, it looks like it hurts like hell. Oh, yeah. But and then his final reveal after like Peter Stromer's like final like ep- epilogue. That's this voiceover is like John Wick emerging from the shadow. Very much like Indiana Jones in his first reveal. Like it was an interesting way to kind of like reintroduce the character to us in this new entry this will tie into something we're going to do later on indiana jones and john wick both introduce their characters Mm -hmm. and an environment that plays with the character insofar Mm -hmm. as it's the world that they're familiar with so like i don't want to break down the indiana jones raiders lost ark thing because we've talked about that a lot but the heist or the acquisition of that statue to begin with all of the traps and booby traps mm-hmm. and such, you get what Indiana Jones is about. Yeah. And John Wick does the same thing. It's cars, it's bullets, it's violence, but it's also, mm-hmm. and this is what's really important. So yeah. it's a 17 minute ish sequence to get to the credits in this film. Yeah, and by long. the time he goes through all of Peter Stromare, Abraham's men. Yeah. They square off at the desk. Mm-hmm. John Wick shows up in his suit that's covered with blood. Yeah. Pours each one of them vodka because he's Russian. Mm-hmm. They toast and he says, peace. Mm-hmm. And they agree. And the formality of word given to word, honor among thieves, mm-hmm. is also established. And that's going to be really important in this film, especially for my viewing, yeah. was what rules. Yeah. 
exist. And, we, and, and so you said it perfectly. Yeah. We're, we've created worlds, mm -hmm. haven't we? And we see that a little later too, that kind of honor amongst assassins later yeah. with uh, him and Common, uh, yeah. where their fight leads them into continental Italy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah. So he gets his car back and... <laughs> And then proceeds to just destroy it. Yeah, it's, it's destroyed beyond recognition. So he gets it back, kills all the guys, and then he has to drive it home like Ace Ventura because the windshield's all shot out back to his house. Well, here's one thing that I think is also really germane and, and consistent in this in this franchise. He's driving with his head out the window. Yeah, yeah. He makes this peace with Peter Stromer. Yeah. They toast, mm -hmm. and... They both agree, yes, it's over. And then the minute John Wick takes the car and heads out, mm -hmm. all of his men go back on their word and attack them. Yeah. It's Godfather-esque in a way mm -hmm. that everybody was always trying to get over on everybody for climbing to climb the ladder in the Chicago Crime Senate or New York Crime Syndicate. Mm -hmm. This is, to your face, yeah. I'm going to tell you this, mm -hmm. but behind your back, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And it's sad because what I found myself thinking about in relationship with that car is, man, I hope that this is just a chassis of that car that they put on some beater because that is a cherry car. Yeah. Matter of fact, I think that made our list and top three cars of all time at some point. I think it made your list. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And man, by the time he gets it home, it's just wrecked. <laughs> yes. Thank God for John Leguizamo. Yeah. Which was interesting because I was thinking about, okay, so he's fixing the car and I had The to... door's knocked off. Yeah, exactly. It's it's ruined. It's a, yeah. You a well, pile of shit. It, it's, it means more personally. Uh, I was just like, may as well just like sell for scraps because like, I, who's going to fix that? Well, well Aurelio, John Leguizamo is kind of the fixer of the chop shop type, mm -hmm. type thing, mm -hmm. which was interesting because... He doesn't really play in part three at all, if I remember correctly. No, he doesn't. And I wish, like, this is one of the things that I hope they explore further. Yeah. Is his character in this? Mm -hmm. Because what's interesting is when the text messages come through, through accounts payable, which is where the hits go out mm -hmm. to the assassin incorporated on who's next, mm -hmm. he gets all that information. Yeah. So is he? Obviously, there's some past there. He's. The, we come to find out at the beginning of the second film that Aurelio, John Leguizamo's mm -hmm. character, is the one who has helped John Wick. Mm -hmm. Kind of, like he's the one who's put John Wick in the direction of this is where your car is. Yes. So yes, they're friends, but he is also an ancillary piece in this world. Let me give you something. Yeah. If J. Jonah Jameson and Betty Brant okay. and Robbie Robertson mm -hmm. are the supporting cast of the Spider-Man universe. Okay. We are now with Ian McShane and John Leguizamo and uh, add whoever you want to this. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, what's that guy's name? Uh, um, the concierge? <laughs> the guy that runs the front desk. Oh, the concierge. Um, his name is uh, Sharon mm -hmm. Lance Reddick, right? Yeah, yes. He, we're, we're building that. The same we're, thing, yeah. We're building a beautiful assassin world, Jesse, before so, our eyes. So you know what's interesting is I've been watching these films with my wife who's very, had never seen them before. And oh she, wow! She, How was that? It's it's been interesting, and she's been into it, and you know, being surprised. But I, she's making some interesting comments that are really making me think. Last week, she said, "What happens to John Wick too?" Because his story seems pretty complete. I'm like, yeah, kind of. And then this week, she said, "I would like to kind of see how John Wick got started and all this thing." 
One of the most interesting stories I think to tell in this franchise, and there's infinite sequels to tell with this ever-expanding world that they're going into, but how does one like a John Wick, what type of training does he go through to get to being so proficient? Where does he meet a John Wigazama? Where does he come into contact with Winston and all these people that are just like fixers and tailors and gunsmiths in this assassin's world? Like, I think that's, that's, I don't, and we don't like the prequel thing, but I think because there's such mystery of this world that's yet to be explored, I'm, I'd kind of be into that. At the end of the second film, we have one, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have the death of his wife, Bridget Moynihan, Mrs. Yeah. Wick, mm-hmm. which you have to figure at some point is going to be revealed as it wasn't naturally occurring. It was someone else tried to kill her, and that's going to get him out of retirement for the 50th time. Yeah. So we've got that. Mm-hmm. That's the only backstory we have on him. Mm-hmm. And then the discussion that we'll get later on, uh, two-thirds of the way through the film with Lawrence Fishburne, mm-hmm. about a run-in where John Wick didn't kill Lawrence Fishburne. Mm -hmm. So among this cabal of bad guys, maybe the separating agent between John Wick and everybody else is when he gives his word. Mm -hmm. It is his his oath, his solemn promise. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look, they're all talented in the ways of fisticuffs. We got it into fisticuffs, raised up. There you go. There's a lot of fisticuffs in this one. They're all talented in gunplay, Mm -hmm. but maybe the separating element between John Wick and everybody else is... His steeliness or his steadfastness to my word is my bond. Because mm-hmm. everybody else is bullshit. Yeah. Bad, they break like, it all the time. Well, let's talk about the next character that does that. Santonio D'Antonio. San, Santino D'Antonio. Yeah, try to say that three times fast. Played by a guy that I've never seen before, which also works in this film yeah. uh, as the foreign the foreign element in there. Mm-hmm. Ricardo Scum. I'm killing this. Ricardo Gorlami, no, uh, Ricardo Scaramarchio or yeah. some, I don't know. Yeah, R- it's brutal. River Derchi. <laughs> okay. Gorlami. Yeah. So he's had a past too with John. Like he um, uh, revealed that he had to complete this impossible task for him in order to be able to marry Helen. So kind of like a last ditch effort in the assassin's world. And there's this kind of like blood oath marker that they that they do. So it's an interesting little kind of like medallion piece that when you open it up, one half has a bloody like fingerprint, but the medallion itself lets you stick your finger like like a diabetic. <laughs> yeah. And then you put your blood in there, and that's your blood oath to see out this task. So what, maybe like a palm-sized doubloon? Yeah. That has a an element on the top right part of a circle. If there's a top right corner, there mm-hmm. isn't, but a top right portion of the circle that you push that opens up a panel with a face of someone that's unyet named. And I'm almost wondering if that is the head of the high table. Well, or if it goes back to like the de Medici's mm-hmm. could, which would be so awesome. They've been assassinating for centuries here. I looked at it and I said, is that Cosmo de Medici? And it's not, but yeah. Why Why isn't it? Anyway. It's very Assassin's Creed-like. So you push it, mm-hmm. and the, the panel opens, and then as it opens, a spike comes up, and you prick your finger, and you put blood on half, which is, because you've done me the solid, mm-hmm. I owe you a favor that I cannot renege on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've already sort of talked about this. Mm-hmm. We're starting to create a currency. Mm-hmm. In this world, yeah, we, we already know that they don't pay with cash; they yeah. pay with those gold coins, mm-hmm. and that also shows up in this film. Mm-hmm. And now we have these really interesting markers that are indebted with the blood. Mm-hmm. So, if if you own my marker, Jesse, that yeah. has my blood-stained fingerprint in it, yeah, 
come hell or high water, you can yeah. call in that mark. Yeah, you need to help me landscape my backyard. Oh, then that'd be easier than what John Wick has to do. I'd rather do that than the crap he's got to go through. Excellent. And I can't tell you no, otherwise it's forfeit of yeah. my life. Yeah, so John says no, and then inst- so there's that. Oh. Scene. There's also that scene, too, where he, thank God the dog didn't die again, but he re-cements his, he, he pours some slab over his medallions and his guns because he thinks he's done again and i'm just like oh john don't do that you're gonna need those in a little bit (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah we have super high octane and then he has defeated um peter stromare's character Mm -hmm. and it's time to put it all to bed Mm -hmm. and what's great about this yeah is you let the audience off Mm -hmm. because you relieve the tension yeah and no sooner does literally no sooner does he finish flattening the cement downstairs. That this cat shows up. Then the doorbell rings. Yeah, exactly. And it's I'm calling in my mark with maybe the most impossible task of all time, and I'll give it to you. To yeah, kill with. my sister who Who's sits, the, sits on the high table. She so, rep, rep, represents like the Italian faction of the high table. Yeah. Give okay. Me a break. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go do that to like get like all those people to kill me. Like, it's like on the list. Uh, you know, let me go win this fist fight with God first, then I'll take that second one that yeah. you just gave me. <laughs> but and he says no. Yeah. So what do they do? They blow his house up. His 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 sterile environment that he comes back to. Uh, yeah, it's just blown to shit. So and in the destruction of his house, what's the most important thing that they destroy? The picture of him and his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all he seems to really care about. Yeah. Exactly. And you get back to, again, we said it last week, mm-hmm. the simplicity of John Wick. Yeah. It's my wife. It's my dog. Mm-hmm. It's my car. And frankly, in Guyville, yeah. you can't fuck with any of those three things because yeah. that's probably what matters the most. Now, he doesn't have a child, but that would also be in there. Mm-hmm. Like, they're they're challenging this man on the screen at a level that makes sense. But I'm going to give you something, Jesse. Okay. They're also challenging him at a primal level. And that's why this movie is so digestible because it's hardwired into all of us. Yeah. There's a John Wick in you. I'm looking at John yeah. Wick sitting right here. Yeah. In the right case, there's a John Wick right yeah, he's there. He's spilling bourbon all over his jeans. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I think I think it's just a little less personable than how they were how simply they did it in the last film with little little puppy Daisy and the car which had been established so well. But I'm still able to get behind this like uh, I, John's revenge in the first film, I think, is very rightly justified. His need to go do this uh, impossible task is, yeah, it's I, I can get behind this as well. I'm not as on board as I was the first time out, but I'm interested to see where this is go because where are we going, Matt? We're going international with this one. You pose an interesting question to me right now that I hadn't considered. Mm-hmm. When... Oh, God, that guy's name, um, Santino D'Antonio, destroys John Wick's house. Yeah. John Wick gets blown through the glass. Yeah. The glass. Mm-hmm. At this point, mm-hmm. I think he's out again. Mm-hmm. Don't you? Yeah. I, I think that guy blew up his house. I think he conveniently, concertedly <clears throat> did not kill John Wick yeah. because he didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Now, John Wick doesn't have anything because his house is destroyed and all of the guns and the gold coins that he have are buried under tons of rubble. Yeah. But in the destruction of this house, he burns a memory for John Wick. And there's that line in the first one. I'm going to butcher this, so help me out here Mm because you're better in this space than I am. But Or maybe it's the third film. 
why don't you die, John, so you can forget her? No, I choose to live so I can remember her. There's something along those lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as they in the in the destruction and the fiery and demise of his of his house, mm-hmm. the picture of him and his wife gets burned. Yeah. John Wick could easily just start over. Mm-hmm. But nope. You crossed the line. It wasn't my house, it wasn't that you bankrupted me, it wasn't yeah. that you destroyed a car. You burned a picture of myself and my wife, and he's back in. But it seems like he, at this point, he should go after Santino D'Antonio. But of course. He, but he kind of seems to kind of go along with this plan to go kill the sister. But let's get to it. Let's get to Assassin Continental Italian style. <laughs> it would run by Franco Nero, original Django of, of, of Django a Spaghetti Westerns. Really? You, I didn't yeah. know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Django right there. How about that? Yeah, exactly. So wow, good for you. That's nice. There you go. Yeah, so he's the Winston of or of the, it, the Italian the Italian side. Continental. Remember, the Continental for everybody is the hotel that the assassins can live in, where no violence is supposed to occur, but they break that rule all the time. Uh, and I kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I kind of forgot that this one was also kind of called the uh, the Continental as well. So that just might be just an umbrella term in this world that this is like a safe hotel haven. But I kind of like this a little bit, too, because then he kind of goes through the, the process of going to get a tailor as these bulletproof suits and to the gunsmith. And he's uh, the, the map layout of this uh, coliseum looking uh, uh, place that the, the sister's going to be at. So he's kind of going through all the, the Italian version of this. But he, he has such a reputation here worldwide world-renowned John Wick that he's able to kind of get what he needs to kind of go get the job done. So he goes to the Continental in Italy because that's where D'Antoni is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's also where he's got to go to, we'll get to it, eventually complete the task that the marker calls him to do. Yeah, You and I are both fans of montages when they do what this one does. Mm-hmm. And that's move us through the story in a rapid pace and this one is just short not yeah. quite yeah but it's about one standard deviation away from being split screened mm-hmm. and there's three things that he does and you've already said them mm-hmm. we get why all of these assassins wear suits mm-hmm. because they're tailored so they look amazing yep and secondly they're fitted with a bulletproof uh, kevlar that's a terrible term it's probably not but a, a material mm-hmm. that is flexible and pliable and cool but completely bulletproof except for the pain. Mm-hmm. So we get that. He goes to the ammunitions guy who gives him a first-class lesson in weapons. Yep. And he also goes to the architect of the city yeah. to get a layout of the catacombs underneath it. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be standard operating procedure. Mm-hmm. Jesse, what we're doing yeah. in a really... And we're 35 minutes into this film. Mm-hmm. What we're doing really well is creating a universe unto the John Wick world. Mm-hmm. And we're just sort of window shopping, getting yeah. a brief... I love it. Yeah. I, I, this this I, part you're talking about <clears throat> is my favorite part of the whole film. Yeah, I like this. I like I like this little bit too. So we get there, Rome, Rome, Italy, these like catacombs. He very meticulously kind of positions like all his weaponry throughout the catacombs that he's going to need later to go uh, take down uh, Gianna uh, D'Antonio. This is D'Antonio's sister, and this is the task the marker calls. And this interesting, like, Italian concert rave. And I don't know if you noticed, but, like, the patrons in, like, the stands are all, like, they have, like, glasses of wine. This is, like, a very interesting concert that they're at. 
they're like raving to this band out there, but they're like got like a like a chalice of wine that they're drinking. So yeah, very different than like a Coachella, but <laughs> yeah, indeed. But then the, the, there's this okay. So then he gets into the to the inner sanctum with Gianna, and this is kind of a very odd scene to to me. To, to kind of how we got here. And it, it kind of reminded me, there's a scene in Hostel 2, and I swear to God, this, like, kind of same thing happens. It's kind of like uh, like death by blood, like, like very Christy type of type of thing. And I, I thought the actress was the same actress in the movie. I had to look it up. But uh, he kind of confronts her, and she's not going to go out uh, by way of the bullet, by way of assassination. She's going to go the Frank Sinatra way. She's going to go her way. On her own way. <laughs> And she kills herself in this this pool with like arms splayed out and and just just very interesting like it, you know th- this is the driving force of why John's here and then like it just kind of all goes kaput like right away. So her protector is common and she tells them to go do whatever the hell they're gonna do and she says she wants to freshen up mm-hmm. and she goes into I guess her bath mm-hmm. and she's at this huge bath only to be met in the shadows by the Baba Yaga. Yep. So John Wick shows up brilliantly uh, introduced and she's not scared mm-hmm. but he's got a gun in her hand so she knows it's coming because she's unable to defend herself yeah they have a very interesting back and forth and it leads me to believe that at one point these two were more than just associates oh i get that feeling a lot from all the characters that like but with her mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. she puts herself in the tub and slits her own wrists with the thing in her hair that's uh like keeping her bun up she strips down in front of him. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's really important. Yeah. Because as clothing, this is, sounds so weird, but go with me here. As clothing is such an important piece of this film, mm-hmm. for her to be stripped down and sans any of it mm-hmm. and completely vulnerable in her state shows how much trust I think she puts in John. Yeah. So she lays down in the tub, does her wrists. And bleeds out, but John still has to be the one that did her in. So, I think post mortem, yeah, he puts a bullet in mm-hmm. her head, and then as he's holding her hand, mm-hmm. it's weird. But is that one of the more? I, I actually wrote this in my notes. Yeah. Um. In all of action films, mm-hmm. is this one of the more heartfelt moments that's ever been done? For me, it is. What are you thoughts there? I don't know. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very perplexed by this scene, and I like kind of what you said just a second ago. This franchise is very good at planting little seedlings because we got this in the first film. We're gonna get it again in film three of like these women in John's life that there's there's something there that is yet to be explained and again i know we're like down on the prequel but like that that they they would rather tell me and kind of allude to this past that they had and then kind of progress it in a very kind of anticlimactic way cuz Adrian Pilecki kind of went out in kind of that way as well in the last film yeah. and Halle Berry kind of shows up and disappears as quickly as she arrived in part in the third film part 3 so i kind of wonder like what their game is this is kind of why i want to see for John Wick chapter 4 4.4.1a 4. Uh, well let me pose a question to perplex sure. you further yeah go ahead is it that life in this world 
is really not that indiscriminate from death. And if you get involved, you know there's a day coming where sooner or later it's going to knock at your door. So, and you see, to me, that's a more interesting story. I would like to, because John's just so precise in his mannerisms and his the way he goes about it. To see a John Wick where he's maybe like not on the top of his game, where he is kind of getting seduced by these sirens and like he's letting his guard down a little bit, which is something he doesn't really do in these these three films. I think perplexed is such a good place to be in film. Yeah. Here's why I'm going to tell you that I think that this scene is working for you. Okay. We're having a discussion about it on a level Mm -hmm. that is, what does it mean with lots of good possibilities Mm -hmm. and none of them that are, yeah, this is bullshit and this is why I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I think the fact, and especially for someone like you who often says, I don't need a pretty pink bow on it to tell me what it is. Yeah. I think... That's a backhanded compliment, or that's not, that's the wrong term. Yeah. Um, a subtle compliment to what the possibilities are going forward. Mm-hmm. And I also think with what you said about what's your significant others, your wife said, mm-hmm. you know, where are they going to go with the story? I think that's the space that this movie really is good in. Mm-hmm. The the violence and the, the fisticuffs yeah. is not subtle. But yeah. you know what else is subtle in mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. The simplicity of it. Yeah. It's not like you stole my car and everyone's going to die. Mm-hmm. You killed my dog and everyone's going to die. Oh, he yeah. doesn't keep jamming it down your throat. Yeah. He mentions it one time briefly because he says, mm-hmm. what, seven lines in the whole film maybe? <laughs> he speaks a little more in this one. Okay, he's a man of action yeah, regardless. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yet you don't ever forget that that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Jesse, I think that in, and maybe I'm just projecting myself onto you. No, no, but no. I think that absolutely works. Yeah. But it's making me want to know more about the road to get to here. Oh, that's such a good thing. You all hear that? Jesse is intrigued by what else? I'm intrigued by the prequel. And I usually, I, I hate most prequels. Other than like Casino Royale. If we, we'll call that a prequel because that's beginning of Bond Begins. There's only one person in the world who hates prequels more than you. Who is it? Yeah. Me. Yeah. And I am also want to see this prequel. Yeah. I want to know. I actually do want to. I want to know John Wick Chapter Seven: The Romance of Helen. Well, well here's what I want to see. Because or just Helen. My, my kind That's her of, name, by the way. His yeah, wife. Yeah. My my point with this franchise is as the sequels progress, their ambition grows. Sure. And I think it gets a little. It gets a little messy. It gets a little dicey. Like to, to me, this film isn't as. Uh, kind of hitting the points as much as the first one was because they kind of didn't really know what they had there when they were shooting it in the can. Yeah, there's no question that was a one-off and that was going to be that. Yeah, so I think there was a lot more care in the craft of that film. So it it, there's... It's just getting like... With that ambition, it's like... A bit messy. It's all kind of just in different spots. Whereas, you know, what they set up in the prior film... John Wick begins like that, that. That's a that's a fascinating story because of the world that they help set up. Uh, so let me ask you a question. Yeah, I'd love to do this to you. I'm going to put him on the spot. This hasn't been recorded. This is okay. Jesse. This is just called John Wick Chapter Two. And one of the things that's perplexed me mm-hmm. or intrigued me about this film is yeah. John Wick Chapter Two. John Wick Chapter Three Parabellum. Yeah. If this is John Wick Chapter Two, what's the Parabellum title for John Wick Two? What is it? Uh. Back in the game, like uh, the marker, yeah, the marker or international John Wick Two International. No, that's actually probably pretty good because we are 
expanding the world outside of New York City, which yeah. is, again, concise, contained. Now we're opening it up a little bit. This is like taking a 3-2 fastball on the black. You probably should have swung, but you didn't. And mm-hmm. so we're cherry picking it a bit. But yeah, I think international works for me too. I or intercontinental, maybe. Something like that. I guess my general thesis waded through all this bullshit that I'm saying right now. <laughs> no, I love it. This, this is what it's all about. Yeah, no. I, I guess I'm saying like as much as they keep trying to like progress this story, I don't want to see where that goes. I actually want to see what happens before. I'll make it quick. I promise. I appreciate that. I'll try and do the same. Okay, so at this point in the film, Gianna is dead. Mm -hmm. John has fulfilled his marker promise. Yeah. The problem, though, is all of Gianna's... Henchmen? ...are after him, led by Common. Yeah, Cassian. So we get this, I think, there's no argument here. Yeah. The success of John Wick is the choreography of the oh, fight Oh no, sequences. this is like it's always the hallmark of the, of the of the films like it's just it's just always so well done. And I'm just like <laughs> John shoot him in the head, you shoot everyone else in the head like For a long time one of my own criticisms of myself is why is it so many headshots and for the first time I snapped, well there's no clothing on your head. Mm-hmm. So that's the most direct route. And I, I will argue this, like I don't want to allude to film three, but there's there's an interesting bit in film three where like that doesn't work anymore. Right. Yeah. So we'll get into that next week. But so as he's escaping after her suicide murder, mm-hmm. everybody in the world is chasing him down, and because he was smart enough to leave guns and things in various places. He has some backup plans, but here's what I really like about this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you back to the destruction of his house, because in the destruction of his house, mm-hmm. what he left behind was rolls and rolls of the currency that this yeah. world uses and lots of ammunition. Mm-hmm. So when he goes back to Continental USA, Ian McShane gives him um, you know, a couple pieces of advice, mm-hmm. and he goes to a bank, an yeah. assassin's bank, and gets his lockbox out. And in there is just enough in case of emergency to get going. Yeah. So to get refitted in a suit mm-hmm. and get new guns and all the stuff that he needs, it pretty much exhausts his resources. Mm-hmm. That's also happening in the catacombs yeah. post her death. As he's running away, he's not reloading when the clips are gone. When the clips are gone, the gun's disposed of, and he is down one more piece of artillery mm-hmm. in an ever-shrinking supply. Yeah. I love that because it's Hitchcockian in a weird way, mm-hmm. is that the fuse is lit on the bomb, and at some point, this reaches critical mass, which is zero. Mm-hmm. Can he get the bad guys to zero before he gets mm-hmm. his ability to do them off to zero? Yeah, exactly. So the answer, I mean, we're continuing with John Wick 3, so obviously the answer is yes, Yeah. but literally barely. Yeah. And this is even going to get played out a little bit further with Lawrence Fishburne, mm-hmm. but by the time he leaves those catacombs... Common still isn't dead, so we know that that's coming. The mm-hmm. final showdown between the two of these, and, and D'Antonio's deaf uh, uh, henchman, played by Ruby Rose Aries. Yep. Oh, yeah. And again, there, there, there's like something. Is that her name, Aries? Yeah. And she, yeah, yeah. There's so, sure. there's something there too. Again, like it's these seedlings that are just they're just teasing me like all day long. Like I want to know, I want to know. <laughs> so by the time he leaves the catacombs, it's him and Common. Yeah. And what's really interesting at this point is. I guess geographically 
back in the catacombs, we do see Ares mm-hmm. with a few guys sort of looking over the wreckage that has been left by John Wick. Yes. So there's definitely some dueling elements. And we also come to realize, like, either Ruby Rose is Ares, mm-hmm. who is uh, the surviving D'Antoni. Yep. Um, henchman. Mm-hmm. Either she's screwing him over or D'Antoni's screwing John Wick over. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's got the immediate threat of common coming after him. So let's get to it. <laughs> he's a gonna... pretty great street fight. Yeah, great. Would you agree with me in this that common kind of gets the better of him in this initial encounter? Yeah. Th- <laughs> thankfully, they crash into the lobby of the continental franco nero's continental but that's not done by convenience either you can see wick trying to move to that no yeah exactly no and and it's pretty good and it like kind of an interesting thing is this world sets up is like no how much you want to kill the person outside like here you got to like squash your beefs in another way so they they head off to the bar bourbon and gin like for for these two yeah franco nero says gentlemen might i introduce you into our bar. Yeah, exactly. And what I love about this, this is, and for you and me, mm-hmm. it's common and the vodka. No, and gin. W- and wick or gin. Yeah. And wick and the bourbon. There you go. God bless you, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One more reason why I love you. <laughs> gin is. Fuck gin. Who drinks gin straight? I, I just threw up in my mouth a little Ugh, bit. No kidding. Anyway. Ugh. So, again, so we're going to get to the Bastard of Bastards in this film, which is D'Antonio. We knew he, we probably knew he was going to do this, that he just kind of backstabs John. Like. He like didn't kind of fulfill this, even though he kind of did, and his sister killed himself. But he opens up a contract, and this is where we get to see the contract. Um, what do they call it? Accounts payable. Accounts payable. I love yeah. that. That's the name of where the the, the hits go out. Accounts and, payable. And I kind of dig their like like cold kind of like uh, like visage, like the the clothing they wear, and everyone's like kind of tattooed with like these horn horned rim glasses. Yeah, it's like a it's pink shirtless, pink sleeveless shirt, and a black a line skirt. Yeah, it's like they're in the fifties and plenty of tattoos. It's it's it's, it's interesting. Awesome. Like, that that was like like the choice for that. But I, in I, a call center from the nineteen fifties. Yeah, with switchboards. Yes. Yeah. Again, I want to know like. What, why (laughs) you know what i mean yeah a seedling another seedling but he opens up a seven million dollar contract on john as he's going back to new york and then we kind of get the the first kind of emergence of like the phones ringing and everyone all these assassins that are just everywhere seven million Mm dollars is the contract on open contract on Mm -hmm. wick so it's whoever wants it. yeah so he's got to deal with a couple of these uh, very expertly with a pencil to those guys in the in the lobby there i think he's like kind of trying to get to the subway we uh, talk about with our listeners and with ourselves a lot the rule of three. Mm-hmm. I'll let you break it down one time because they're probably sick and tired of me hearing about it, and then I'll take it after that. So explain the rule of three. Yeah, the rule of three is you know establishing something three times so that when we get it that third time, it like it really hammers in the point. Right. Um, Whether that be a joke yeah. or a backstory or an object, like we want to see that three times so that usually in Act Three of the film we see that payoff. I think at this point, Mm -hmm. we have probably exceeded the rule of three. But here's what it's done. When it's been exceeded, it's been done in a new way. Mm -hmm. So let me give you the first three that came to me when I was thinking about the world of Wick. Okay. So the marker. We've already talked about the marker with a bloodstained fingerprint. We have the rules of the Continental. Mm -hmm. And and that was established from film one into this one. So, yeah, we're establishing what's already been established and then the gold coin currency yes yes so we've by this point you've been given it in three different iterations and now what we're now that we're privy to the 
behind the great and powerful Oz curtain of mm-hmm. the John Wick world, we're starting to see accounts payable. Yeah. And we're starting to see mm-hmm. that there's continentals, gosh, maybe globally? Continental Japan, continental Mexico, continental Russia. Like, we just haven't gone there yet. And so you've done a really good job without stuffing it down my throat. Mm-hmm. Well... Of making it an interesting entrance into that world. Well, even Peter Stomare uh, earlier talked about how John Wick killed these guys with a pencil. And so we get to see that again, kind of like as as it as it as it happens here. So he, boy, isn't he going to in a few minutes? So that's interesting, and <laughs> and then an almost kind of comical turn of events. Common shows up again. <laughs> I had to laugh a little because it's just kind of so ridiculous. This scene was just so interesting. The, the the final battle, as cool as the first one was, this one on the subway is kind of like a little. Eh, but like as they're like on the subway and Common's on level two, Keanu's on. Well, yeah, I know. It's just no, you're right. I just like how nonchalant they are about like pew 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 pew, like, and no one sees anything. I I I kind of like that. Like, it's 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 almost comedic, but this is the world we're in. Like, the world around us, this assassin's world is just it's just there, and they're just so expert about like hiding like that. Oh yeah, (laughs) Yeah. right. And nobody seems to know. Yeah. Because the silencer is all you need. And then as we get on the subway and they're like like trying to kill each other and like the, the people in the background of the subway are just like sitting there. So I, I made a joke. I made a joke. I was like, this is just this is just any everyday New York subway ride. Like this is nothing <laughs> out of the norm for the New Yorkers. <laughs> so after Santino's markers yeah. debt has been repaid, mm-hmm. he screws Wick. Mm-hmm. And then he puts in the $7 million contract. And every assassin from the violinist in the subway to the Samoan eating some takeout Mm -hmm. stir fry at the bus stop then begins chasing Wick. Mm -hmm. And he is at this point in the Rome, I guess it's Rome, the Italian continental. And um, the guy that's in there, you told me, Nero, Mm -hmm. um, Julius. Yeah says, I've provided passage for you. Mm-hmm. So he kind of gets him to, like, the subway safely. And then at that point... No, he's in New York at this point in the play. All the way back to New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this goes out This goes out worldwide. Mm-hmm. And then everyone in the world is after him. Mm-hmm. From a contract that, man, is $7 million. And, and that starts growing as... And what's cool about that is I love how it goes out through text. Mm-hmm. And on these Nokia like flip phones, flip phones, and they all have the same one burners, mm-hmm. and it's just like the dude at the bus stop drinking a latte and reading the Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. is the guy ready to kill you. Yeah, and so you don't know who's after you. Yeah, and so now John Wick is taking on the world. Yeah, trying to get back to I don't even know where in New York. Like I don't even at this point. I, he's just trying, he's to, trying get to away. Yeah, he's just trying to get away, and then he throws a marker or doubloon into this homeless man's cup. Not a marker, a currency. Yeah, the currency. Yeah, the the, the gold coin. Yeah, the Spanish. Yeah, medallion, whatever they mm-hmm. are. Yeah, yeah, into the coin to kind of like I need to like I need to get out of here like that, and then he kind of covers himself up. Over he says, the, "Get me to. I need you to get me to him. Yeah. Get me to who? Exactly. We're about to meet him, the Bowery King, played by Lawrence Fishburne. I like to call him the Pigeon Man." <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> with this pigeon, he has a great line in the next film where I go like, "How come you use pigeons? Like, no Wi-Fi can't be traced." He's like, "I use my pigeons." Like, 
I got since you brought up the Lawrence Fishburne thing, and now everybody's like, "Oh, so this is sort of a Matrix thing." Well, it's directed by the guys yeah. that did the Matrix. They yeah. wrote the script and choreographed the fight sequences. Yeah. So there's that. I got to say, here's the one thing that post second viewing watching of this bugs me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giada um, D'Antoni. Mm-hmm. That's got to be Monica Bellucci, doesn't it? That, why isn't that Monica Bellucci? That should be her. And then I think I told you off mic in film three, why is that not Carrie Ann Moss? Like, they keep and, they keep wanting to do this, like, Matrix, like, reunion in the John Wick world. And look, there is nobody that would not want more Bel- Monica Bellucci in film. Yeah, do Can it. we raise it to that? God bless Monica yeah, Bellucci. Amen. Oh, heavens. But yeah, they keep wanting to do this. I don't know. They just go all in. Like, it's it's so... Once you have Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves, like... And there's literally a line in John Wick 3. This isn't the John Wick 3 podcast. But, like, uh, John Wick at the Continental before the final barrage says, What do you need? And he's like, Guns. Lots of guns. That's the line from The Matrix when he gets the, the aura of guns before the finale of that film. Just do it and just like jump all into that deep end if that's like kind of what you want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the Bowery King is on the periphery of this assassin's world and has basically sought refuge or sanctuary under the cover of homeless, derelict, yeah. slum guy, whatever, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But he's got them all over the city. And with them stationed all over the city as observants, and then his pigeon network that he uses with some microchipping thing. The pigeon man. <laughs> he basically has uh, a view of any geographical area that he wants. Yep. So Wick shows up, and we get that backstory that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. We come to find that those two have a past, another and John Wick didn't kill him. Another seedling. Right? So he did something to his neck, right? Like He said, you can either chase me and yeah. you'll bleed out, or you can leave the pressure on there and you'll probably live mm-hmm. in an alley where John Wick got the jump or the drop on the Bowery King. Um, what's his name? Uh, it's just the Bowery King. He's mm-hmm. not even named. Yeah. It's the Bowery King yeah. on Lawrence Fishburne. Mm-hmm. So John Wick says, I need a favor, and this favor is in your best interest. And at this point, with Wick in this state of desperation, the Bowery King almost laughs him off. Yeah. And he gives him what is literally the worst deal in the history of any economic endeavor ever. <laughs> he gives him one gun yeah. and, and seven, seven rounds bullets. of ammunition yeah. for the lofty number of $7 million. Yeah. So that's all the Bowery King gives him mm-hmm. is a place to like heal the wounds that he got from the subway fight and a, maybe a rest for a night yeah. and seven rounds. Mm-hmm. For $7 million. Mm-hmm. Boy, with friends like that, who needs enemies? <laughs> yeah, exactly. $7 million? A yeah. million dollars a round? The Homeless Assassins Guild. Holy crap. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I guess he's armed, but so barely. The, I guess so. He's going to jump all in now. He's going after D'Antonio at, like, some Met Gala art unveiling, which is, this is... this. But that's been set up, too. Yeah, that's been set he's up, He's met too. him earlier. That's where he takes the job from him to kill When they're sister. looking at that picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, this is not just a happenstance. This is set up. Oh, this is good. This, this is a great place to have your finale. Because this. what's interesting is as they progress from exhibit to exhibit and John's just laying waste again to the, the countless droves, you've mentioned to me, Matt, too, and we're going to talk about it next week, the kind of, like, Enter the Dragon-esque of... Yeah. Parabellum mm-hmm. that is so obvious here in this it's literally a hall of mirrors right yeah so uh we kind of get that interplay here as he's chasing him through the endless maze of mirrors as Ares and D'Antonio are trying to kind of get the jump on him. So at this point, Common's mostly dead, although he's not. He's out. We're down to the final showdown. I think my favorite thing of the John Wick franchise, other than like these seedlings that they keep giving me of a film that I want to see 
is kind of the visual aesthetic of it all. And that's, you don't really get that a lot in action. I got to give Wick some props because whether that be the neon like lighting scheme of blues and pinks and purple hues or the mirror reflection or just the clever juxtaposition with shadow and lighting intermixed with techno like i really like that like and jesse you're so good in that space yeah that is so well said but we don't talk we don't talk about a lot of like the visual look of film which if a film didn't look the way it did like that would probably leave a mark on why we didn't like it like alien looks the way it's supposed to as does a film like mad max fury road no but but like the blues and the pinks that you just said again you're right i think they pop and i i posted a few pictures to instagram this week of some of those and like they look they like it looks sharp and it's 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 so juxtaposed perfectly with like their black suit attire and especially because it's foreign derived compared to like the studio system mm-hmm, and you know mm-hmm. it, it just looks different yeah and that's i mean i love it i love i i really like the look of all of these films do you ever feel like when you're watching this movie if sergio leone had a huge budget and it wasn't the west but it was this this is what it would have been maybe it just fe- doesn't it mm-hmm. feel foreign yeah, a little bit yeah and maybe that's just because Keanu's been involved in foreign vehicles like a 47 Ronin and, you know, a few, few like the, 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 criticized the man from the Tai Chi, uh, a, f- a few like films from across the seas. Yeah, it does. I've always like whether that be a French director or an Italian. Yeah, it does have that feel of like this kind of foreign influence. But if you're influenced by films of John Woo and and Sergio Leone, like it's going to show. Yeah. And uh, Chad Stileski and David um leech actually had that but aren't foreign actually they're actually just financed by foreign companies Mm -hmm. but they're completely american it's really interesting yeah god and you know what we haven't said it Mm -hmm. to to david leech Mm because that's hobbs and shaw too hobbs and shaw and honestly and i kind of want to talk about this next week like atomic blonde for what it is is that him also yeah for an action piece that i think the action's done expertly in that film that's another. That's kind of like another kind of like kind of like smash surprise too. Like that guy's rising up the charts with a bullet, man. Mm-hmm. He is moving. Yeah, give him a Marvel movie. I'd like to see what he'd do with it. Oh yeah, yeah. Keanu might be in it. Maybe he'll get Shang Chi. And I'm not. I'm not trying to be catty here. I'm no, not. no. The, he the, he might be perfect for that. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. We'll have to kind of see how his his path lays out. But that's the other kind of thing that's interesting about this franchise is like all the same players are still here. Same director, same writer. So consistency. It, yeah, consistency. It, it has that feel. So he does away with Ares in this in this Hall of Mirrors. Uh, D'Antonio gets away because he's cowardly. He's been a coward this whole film. Running. Running and backstabbing and mm-hmm. whatnot. Yep. To the Continental. Winston's Continental. Ian McShane. And he's hightailing it in the bar, enjoying himself a nice steak or duck. Like he's mentioned, I think it's duck fat. Yeah, Don't you love he, the taste of duck fat. Yeah, who it, the f- eats duck fat? Duck itself is Ooh. no amazing. Oh man, we are. That's rock gut. <laughs> no, I I prefer duck over like top sirloin steak. Yeah, <gasps> yeah, yeah. Well, that makes one of us excellent. I'd, I'd probably be eating that in his thing, but yeah, John Wick rolls up on him and. He's about to break the number one commandment of this assassin's world, and it's killing someone on protected grounds. John Wick breaks his breaks his code of honor for the first time, doesn't he? That we've seen. Yeah, and it's interesting because like it's kind of led to this, but in doing so, John Wick sets up John Wick Chapter Three. In doing so, 
But he has. But to, it's the larger hole that yeah. this movie's on. Like this is yeah. about yeah. my relationship and what's left of it with yeah. my dead deceased wife. Yeah. And you just crossed the line, and only one thing is more important to me than my Assassin's Guild membership rule card, and yeah. that's her. And by God, you burned it to the ground, and for that. I will go to the grave because yeah. he knows what's coming from this. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So Ex- literally just executes him, just caps him right there. Boom. Right the there. chair yeah. at dinner. Boom. Yeah. Goes to his, his house, his wreckage. In the rain. I made some joke last night that as he was going through his house, he was like, I think the bed's like over here. Sits so in some burned down chair. <laughs> yeah. And it's and- raining, which look, I mean, this is so obvious. But I no. love rain sequences in film because it's always a cleansing of the character and yeah. he's literally being washed away of his sins. But if you're going to stage a scene, you may as well go all out. But Absolutely. It, it, through the wreckage, he finds the bracelet that he always used to put on his wife's, uh, on his nightstand. Yeah, I think he finds the frame with the what's left of the burned frame that mm-hmm. the picture was in. Then he finds her, I think it's a tennis bracelet? Yeah. Something. Mm-hmm. Bracelet, like you said. Yeah. And it's somehow not entirely destroyed. Yeah. She's still got a memory of her. A smidge. And Lance Lance Reddick rolls up, saying, "You need to come with me. You know what this is about." Gus go meets Winston in Central Park and says, "John, you broke, you know, Commandment One in what we said. You know what this means. I have to deem you excommunicado, and there's going to be a bounty on your head and fifteen million dollars. Like, yep. <laughs> yep. like we've gone from seven to fifteen. So." You know, you talk about sequels wanting to raise the stakes, and we we truly see that from film to film. Like, not only does the monetary value go up, the budgets go up. I think the act action spectacles like raise up in ambition as well. So we're we're totally setting up where we're going to with this. And I yeah. love Keanu's line, and it's actually going to be the soundbite that ends our podcast for the day. Mm-hmm. But he's just like, whatever you do, whoever you send, tell him. I'll kill them all. I'll kill every last one of them. So, like, as he's all beaten and bruised and bloody and he's just gone through the ringer in this film, like, and as he weirdly runs through Central Park, which we talked about earlier this week of Keanu just running, which is... Is he a bad runner or is it because he's injured in the movie? I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. It seems to work, though. We'll talk about it next week some more. Well, it gets even worse. (laughs) Even worse because it starts so, he, like he's just so lumbery. If you want to know what lead foot it is when you run, watch this because that is lead footed. Mm-hmm. Like we could make a lot of jokes about Tom Cruise running in every movie he ever does. This is worse, <laughs> yeah. but maybe effectively worse. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this dude's had a hell of a week. Hell of a yeah, yeah. It's because four days from there, like it's been a hell of like maybe it's it's seven days, man, since they stole his car and killed his dog. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This has been awful for him. He just killed so many people. But yeah, he runs off with his dog and all the phones start going off again. Like the 15 million bounties out there and is John Wick going to be able to survive his one hour like head start? So Ian McShane puts the call into accounts payable mm-hmm. and those women that Jesse was speaking about earlier yeah, yeah. start to process it. And in one hour, uh-huh. the contract is open for $15 million on John Wick. And what I love about that scene with Ian McShane when he puts the contract out is he feels bad about it. But the Continental, without the Continental, maybe Ian McShane has no value in this world. Yeah, no. So he's got to honor that for, I honestly think you, it's self-preservation. Mm-hmm. So, But we even see his honor amongst assassins, too, by at least giving him an hour to get somewhere. Get at somewhere. Get a gun, stitch yourself up. 
And I think that's that that's kind of leads to like my favorite parts of Parabellum, which is like where this takes us to. Yeah. So it's a nice nice cliffhanger ending. You're, you're, you 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 want to see you know where this is where this is gonna go because John Wick has gone from I killed the guys that stole my car and 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 took and and killed my dog to just like it's all, all fucked up now. <laughs> it's it's so messed up. If it was bad when his house was destroyed. Mm-hmm. At least he had the Continental and enough currency to make that work for a while. Yeah. Now that he's excommunicado, he can't even use the grounds of the Continental as entry. Mm-hmm. He literally has his dog and the clothes on his back. And at this point, I don't even think he's armed. No. He's got nothing oh, yeah. except 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. Do so, it. Find a way. Much the way one picks up right in step where, or two picks up right in step where one ended, mm-hmm. three's going to pick right up in step where one ended. Literally right in step. So, I mean, I think we've sort of wrapped up the story. Yeah, so. So we're ready for the ratings? Let's do it. Okay. Rock gut, uh, well, call, single barrel, and top shelf. I'll let you go first this week. Uh, I told you off mic before that on initial ride through the John Wick franchise, this was my least favorite of the three films. Mm-hmm. Man, every week I go through this, mm-hmm. and it's upon second or third viewing how it changes for me. Yeah. Uh, that is not the case. I was wrong myself. I was wrong. Um, this is a top-shelf action film for me. I will argue that in the pantheon of action movies, this is top five all-time for me. It's completely entertaining. It's choreographed so well. I love the world that they've established. This is, to me, a movie without a bad moment, even though I said the Monica Bellucci thing, it doesn't take away. Because that gal's fine. It's mm-hmm. just not Monica Bellucci. She does, she's great. And yeah. She's just not Monica Bellucci. Uh, it's top shelf. This is a superb film for me. So this is sitting up there with Die Hard for you? Yes. Okay. In the top... Like, I'm telling you, top five action films of yeah. all time. Because you put... The first one up in Top Shelf as well. Yes. Okay. Uh, so Die Hard, John Wick 1, and John, Tick, John Wick 2 are three of the five of all-timers for me in this friend, in the uh, the action genre. Okay. So, and I, and I will, and here's what we do. Like, we have this, and then we talk on Wednesday. Yeah. And I say, I thought about that more, and I, you know, like, <laughs> it just depends on the day. Yeah. So, yeah, it always depends on the day. But today. Interesting. I'm in love. I, okay. Go. Yeah, it's 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 interesting just because I see, you know, a doubling of the budget, the need to expand the world internationally, and you know, I like some of the, some of these elements that that they're playing with, but also those seedlings that they're kind of planting of this kind of past world that I I kind of would actually like to see. As the ambition grows in this franchise, I see it get a little less controlled and a little kind of outside the fence. Which that that's okay too. You you're you're allowed to do that. There's no rule saying you can't do that. Yeah. But compared to last week and this clear, concise, almost independent film that was just hitting all the markers with clear, concise action that was to me fresh, and kind of seeing Keanu kick ass. It's it's to me it's not on the same level as that. There's no doubt in the action set pieces in this film are expertly choreographed. Keanu's just as good in this one as he is in the first one and not arguing with like where, where they're taking the, this world but where there's less there's more and i think there's more control in film one than there is in film two 
I gave film one a single barrel last week. I'll give this one like a single barrel minus call plus. I think this is a viable film sequel that expands on the scope and stakes of film one. It's just with a little less control by uh, Stileski and Colstead as 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 well. Maybe the writer doesn't have as control of you know the execution of what he put to paper, but with the scope of where they're of where they're taking it. It's still expertly done, but I can't put this up there with 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 Die Hard and and Speed. It's still a good action vehicle, and you're gonna like you know enjoy your time watching it. I mean that scene with the pencil, Jesus Christ. But uh, I see a little more ambition where there should be a little more constraint, and that's kind of my feeling with Parabellum as well. But we'll kind of we'll kind of see where that goes. For me, as the as the globe expands to John Wick, mm-hmm. the opportunities expand with the franchise, but the rules in the franchise don't. No, no the, like we do get the we do get the introduction of the marker, which changes a lot in this movie. But we're not going so far as here are the American rules, here are the Italian rules, here are the Venezuelan rules. Like mm-hmm. we still have no, it's this, the, it's the same rules, right? And as you were saying that, and this goes in the realm of like whatever. I honestly, I don't think I've ever come up with my top five action movies of all time. Yeah. So it's really easy on Mike to tell you like these mm-hmm. are two and three. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Behind Die Hard. Yeah. Um, as I'm listening to you say that, I'm actually thinking, okay, so you just mentioned two other movies from the '90s, and then there were three in the '80s, and can any of these other five films, Die Hard excluded, mm-hmm. displace one or two in this? And I think right now my mm-hmm. answer is still no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just interesting where I see, um, you know, the where you like you enjoy the world building, and maybe that's leading what how we're going to wrap up this episode. And I like that too, but I also like I prefer the mystery and you know the conciseness of of film one. When they kind of didn't know what they were dealing with. Now they're very clear and obvious that they know that they have a hit on their hands with a very interesting character. And I, I love this John Wick character. I think he's very interesting and complex in his own right. But as great as they can choreograph the scenes, nothing replaces the first time seeing that in his house for the first time. As the series goes on, those scenes start to wane on me because of how similar and how long they start to go on. But uh, I, I don't know if you have an answer for this for me today. Okay. But I love this question as a think piece, if you will, going forward. Okay. Does the scope and sequence of the movie differ with your approval or disapproval regarding genre? Because what you're saying right now with John Wick, I, I, I oh, yeah. actually can't tell you that I disagree with any yeah, of that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't bug me. But if you were telling me that this is happening in a Tarantino movie, yeah. I'm out the door five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just think, no, I think this, that might be an interesting I think discussion that's, to have I, one day. Sure. And I think that's maybe I feel the same way about all franchises with that. And I think the sequ- across the board, I uniformly. Think, I think across the board. I think the sequels. Oh. I think the sequels that I tend to latch on to that I like, like Dark Knight and Empire Strikes Back. I think they expand the scope, but they like they they still keep it contained. Whereas like certain sequels, like Age of Ultron, just totally just like shit the coop with it. And yeah. I think the term sequel. And we talk about Rocky too, and how like how brilliant that sequel is that doesn't yeah. get enough love. Yeah. I think sequel as a term is a dangerous concept in Hollywood, clearly by this summer's slate of films. But 
where you know some sequels stick the landing is you know when they take the the great parts that worked in film one expanding that world but not forgetting your roots i think is the thing let's remember why people went to go see film one in the first place what is yeah okay great yeah i, I um and we can get into all that and that's a a discussion we should like do yeah like a midweek mm-hmm. 30 minute just theory discussion so yeah how do you keep from becoming tusk to rumors mm-hmm. versus rubber soul to revolver i don't know rubber soul and revolver are still pretty good no 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 no. i know what oh, you mean. no 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 like, there's no argument of which of those two are better compared to which two are not i know what you no, i know what you mean and that is totally a conversation for another day but then like and it's tricky when you go from film two to film three well, because then we can get to the whole paranormal thing. And then we're getting into Empire and Return of the Jedi. Oh, like, yeah. and it gets even messier. Godfather. But then you have, like, Temple of Doom and Last Crusade. Like, it, it's crazy where franchises tend to go. And we've never done this on the podcast. And we talked about Alien a lot. Alien 2 to 3. Like, oh, my God. Like, kill me. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's just interesting to kind of see these three films in unison and how... Well, look, even Terminator 2 to 3. Ugh. Right? Yeah. <laughs> hard pass and as different as like what we're talking about is Terminator 1 is to 2 and Alien 1 is to 2 how did 3 be that okay so I mean we're talking about what could be down the road with possible discussions I just I think that's a really interesting and I, I don't know if we ever come to a consensus or even a conclusion on this yeah. I, I think, think I think it depends on the filmmaker and the writer honest to God so maybe it's not yeah across the board maybe it's in whose hands it is yes and maybe that's what's across the board. Who's doing it? Mm-hmm. So I guess you have a choice. You want a war? Or do you want to just give me a gun? <laughs> Somebody please get this man a gun. So let's wrap up this episode. We've talked for the last two weeks about... What an interesting and unique world that they've set up that I think we both kind of want to play around with. Whereas you want to see it like progress. I want to see the origins of this damn thing. So this isn't the only film franchise that's done this. Like this has been happening for years and some better than others. So Matt, let's kind of list our top three world building film franchises or even just singular films. Can you... Do me a solid here and yeah. explain what world building means to our listeners. I know you and I know what that sure. means, but let's sort of create a, a baseline of understanding. And I guess I'll use the word vernacular. Okay. If a film world can kind of create its own mythos and language and, you know, sense of story from within. And I'm talking about like everything from inventions and phrases to costumes to vehicles to languages creating something solely that we see for the first time on film that is a world that exists within this film world so not adapted material from a novel yeah so we can't count harry potter because all that hard work was done by jk rowling or we can't use lord of the rings because that's tolkien but originally created for the screen in a universe that is brand new and by universe i don't mean intergalactic i just mean a world that is unfamiliar to the uh, watcher, mm-hmm. but yet also creates an environment that we become familiar with through our adventures. Yeah. 
Okay, do you want me to go first? You, you go first. Go first. You go first. <laughs> okay, my number three, it, and, and I, you're gonna maybe you might, you know, say, well, you're breaking the rule here. No, go you ahead. You might give me Lucio Fulci, but I would actually the Dawn of series by Romero. I think as far Wait, as so of the dead, so are you starting night? Dawn, or, night, or night, dawn, or, and day. So night was first. Yeah, no, no, Fulci came after that. Okay, so. Fulci. Uh, well, <laughs> no, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. He's got a couple nice zombie no, yeah, films yeah, yeah, in yeah. there. Yeah, but Romero's king of the zombie. But you know, I don't even love zombies. Yeah. Like, zombies to me have a place that's interesting for about 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. And then they fall into the realm of two other iconic film heroes or iconic pop culture heroes, which is the Hulk and the werewolf, mm-hmm. which is if you're not eating or smashing, there's just nothing there. Yeah. And that can only take you so far. It's why the Hulk, I will argue, yeah. will never get a standalone film that's successful. Yeah. Because the only part of the Hulk that's interesting is when the Hulk is Banner and you didn't pay for a movie fucking called Banner. <laughs> no, right? You <laughs> that's know, true. You know yeah. I'm right. Yeah. It's and the totally same thing with the, with the Wolfman. Like the best part of werewolf films is the transition. Because as wolf, all you do is either mate or consume... So then the the interplay, the conflict comes from running from mating, consuming beast, or what happens is human, and I didn't pick a movie called Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> you <laughs> My best friend's wife would go see a movie called Lon Chaney Jr. Oh my that one's for you, Sheila. We should have her on one Sheila, you're invited one of these times. <laughs> um Zombies are that to me. Like if they're not consuming, they're very singular. And George Romero introduces yeah. to an apocalyptic scare quotes around apocalyptic world mm-hmm. where the dead have risen from the graves and these and it's creating mm-hmm. these are the rules yeah. that you have to play but you want to kill it you better get it in the head yeah and eventually because it's the mass of society although slow moving is larger and total than you and you're going to run out of resources and places mm-hmm. and it's a matter so if you take no, all of those no that's perfect and what else he does really well especially with is it day? Is that the one where they're trapped in the mall? They all start to no. That's together? that's dawn. Dawn, mm-hmm. especially dawn, as he attacks consumerism too. Mm-hmm. So that's my number three. No, that's the, I, of the dead. I world. think that's great. Romero created the zombie. I think we all know and love. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The zombie before- coming for you, Jesse. Yeah, we're coming to get you, Barbara. Anyway, <laughs> there was the zombie prior, like the Bill Lugosi white zombie and the Val Luton zombie. That's like. Of voodoo, New Orleans, yeah, like no. voodoo magic. No. Like brain control zombie. This Surfing the rainbow. Yeah. Oh, that movie sucks. Yeah. The zombie he created was the one that's created The Walking Dead in Zombieland. It, it, it became its own thing in itself. Like you attribute that to what Nile Living Dead and what he expanded that on. Here's my umpteenth question of the moment for you on live mic right now. Okay. How much more gasoline is in the tank of the zombie vehicle when is this franchise going to exhaust itself is i feel like it's close but what do you think give me a time half a year one year two years i would honestly say it's already dead i I, because i agree it's done now we'll see what happens because there's a couple big movie entries coming pretty soon uh zombie land 2 there's a couple other things but that movie's like five years too late after Walking Dead season four, like I thought, I think like the momentum of like that initial kind of like excitement about it, it's it's kind of gone. So okay. maybe it'll show up again when I'm like sixty. <laughs> yeah. Now your number three is what? My number three, I have a three A and a three B. Oh, here we go. But three A because we've talked about it on the podcast. That's Ghostbusters and the world of proton packs and 
PKE meters and this paranormal world of this paranormal business that they set up in a in New York we know. It's good. I think is pretty unique. And then for one we've talked about infinitely and for whatever fucking reason they can't like tell not like one other story other than a stupid doll. It's the Conjuring universe. Yep. Man, that, I thought about that one a lot too. Like for everything that they teased us with in that Ed and Lorraine Warren like Sanctum Santorum of like treasure troves. Like I want to see that movie about that box or about that artifact. No, you keep telling the story about the damn doll. Annabelle. So, so that's why it's 3B because like they're kind of stuck in self-contained conjuring films and Annabelle films. I actually they, think that's probably four and the other one's probably three if you want to be honest. But we both but, love The Conjuring so yeah. much it's hard not to. I, and they, no, you're, I get you. And they did do The Nun which was kind of kind of branching out from that. Yeah, but, but that kind of sucked too. Yeah, yeah. So for, for what that is, you know, Ghostbusters I think set up something that was never explicated in any of its sequels or reboots or whatever and it's genius in that first film and Conjuring's just kind of stuck in utero. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, so speaking of follow-ups to albums that yeah. were n- like, there's yeah, never mind in utero. Yeah, how agro pro? It's the same thing. So so that's that's why they're kind of together. <laughs> Man, good. Yeah, number two for you. Okay, number two is we've already spoken about him tonight mm-hmm. or today. Mm-hmm. Sergio Leone is the man with no name. Okay. You are literally the quintessential film in a subgenre. Mm-hmm. There's westerns and there's spaghetti westerns, and this is the quintessential spaghetti western franchise. Yeah, L- like laterally, almost post filming, named as Joe mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood as the man with no name in uh, Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm-hmm. From the tinny piano scoring to the ridiculous names of Tuco as Hispanic played by Eli Wallach yeah. to brilliantly angel eyes. Mm-hmm. It's that you it's that those three films to me created a world of dust and dirt which is nondescript and bland as they were. Mm-hmm. Every tumbleweed had meaning. Yeah. Every tombstone had meaning. Mm-hmm. Every horse was recognizable. Like that world to me. Yeah. Is the second. Yeah. The showdowns, the that 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 was kind of when they hadn't kind of pinpointed like what on screen blood looked like and it's like paint red when it needs needs to be like a little more like black cherry red. Yeah. But like that's part of it too. Like the 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 they're them willing to push the violence is the difference between Sergio Leone and John Ford. And oh man, well said. So yeah, yep. I I kind of dig that too. Good and the Bad, the Ugly is my favorite in that franchise, just because oh, yeah. that feels like a western epic. But from its cinematography to its use of of music, Ennio Morricone, a genius. Yeah, that's a good one too. If you compare John Ford's most violent and and cutting western, which to me is a racist depiction of John Wayne in The Searchers. To the good, the bad, and the ugly. Although both of those movies are remarkable and discussable in their own entirety yeah. for a podcast, mm-hmm. I think what that you said that so well. Yeah, pushing the envelope of violence, and maybe that has something to do with why it was done abroad. Mm-hmm. That goddamn Hayes Code changed film for a while, didn't it? Maybe that's sixty-five, sixty-six. Is that era of film that we kind have of, we ever talked about? Yeah, you, you like that period of film? I kind of dig it. Huh, me too. To that, maybe we should talk about that someday. <laughs> there you go. All right, awesome. Number two, Jesse. Number two for me, again, another film we've already talked about on this podcast, uh, done in pretty good films, but like not in some other good films, but just the universe of a life form, and that's Alien. 
For, I was sure. I told my wife last night yeah. for sure you were doing Aliens how as number one. How I can't believe this isn't your number one. No, because something's better than this. Wow. Because this, to, to me, the world is pretty generic and uniform and and whatnot. Space uh, truckers in space and colonial marines, and I like that. But the singular organism of the xenomorph, from queen to drone or uh, to egg to uh, chestburster to uh, facehugger to chest chestburster to adult drone. What a perfect unison that O'Bannon and uh, Shusek came up with for the lifespan of that organism. Like, that's world building for a creature. And Godzilla can't say the same thing, and neither can Predator. But, like, Alien has, like, such a great ecosystem that I want to know more of. But I got that, and it's Prometheus and Covenant, and hell no, I don't want any more of that. Can I ask you a question? (laughs) Yeah. Do you think Prometheus is tragically panned when it's really not that bad a film? Uh, no. Do you hate it? What I hate about Prometheus is what it tries to be when it's so obviously what it needs to be. You can't put Ridley Scott in there and have a teaser trailer that has the alien music and not have it be the alien prequel. We didn't go to see... Uh, them killing Jesus to have the the space jockey get sucked with this black goo like what the fuck like that's that's not the origin of alien that I ever saw and at the end of the day Matt I think I said this in the alien podcast I'd rather not know that I'd rather just have the first film so as great as an ecosystem as that is it gets so convoluted by the ambition of trying to over explain things and I think that's Okay, John Wick, if you decide to do a John Wick prequel, don't over-explain it. Don't overdo like what you've already set up. I liked that movie when I first saw it. Yeah. Here's what the jumping-off point for me was, and this doesn't change the movie in my viewing capacity, and I don't want to turn this into Prometheus because that could be a whole podcast too. We should do Prometheus. We should do the Alien franchise sometime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We really should. Mm-hmm. Um, and sequentially, in order. Yeah. But to that... What killed me about that is when Ridley Scott basically got to the explanation of why the engineer puts that stuff in the water. Yeah. This, he, is, this is not a joke. No. I'm about to tell you this, and you both, you and I both come from a similar upbringing in this. Yeah. And that is, it had to do with civilians or humans killing Jesus. That, that's so, so, so dumb. You know what Alien's about? And go back and listen to the Alien podcast because for whatever reason, it's the most downloaded episode on our show. That movie's about sex. It's about sex. And motherly and birth and death. Yes. And a bunch of other complex things. And then you bring in this whole philosophy of... That's the problem with Prometheus. It's too much derived from philosophy when it has no business being that. And that, and that, But with that... It comes on and I still don't want to turn the channel. Like I'd rather watch that than anything else in that franchise save two. Yeah. But that's really low-hanging fruit for the other choices. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? That's, okay, my, so, that's my number two. So ride with me on this one because I bet you and I are going to mm-hmm. have the same one. Let me get this piece of paper here. Okay. And on this piece of paper, I'm going to write what my number one is. And okay. I bet you we have the same one. It's folded. I'm going to give it to you, and the count of three, you're going to open it up, and you're going to read it and tell me if we're, we're the same guy. Well, let me let me just say it. One, two, three. Harry and the Hendersons, like... Yes, we got it. <laughs> open it up. What did I write? It's Star Wars. Okay, you did say Star Wars, too? Yes. Of course you did. It has to be. It's not even close. Well, think, It's not even close. Well, think about it. As much as I could rail on George Lucas for bastardizing what he set up, there's no arguing that and talking about taking a chance... 
on an original sci-fi epic concept. Well, ripped off from Akira Kurosawa, but okay. But still. Okay. His world building, it goes beyond him. It goes to Irving yeah. Kirshner and Richard Marquand. Hey, what does Hoff look like? Yeah. What does Dagobah look like? Exactly. Do you want to go to drink Swamp. at the cantina? Oh, hell yeah. We should do that in September. Yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah. But like even J.J. Abrams, for all these direct... And Ryan Johnson, they all get to leave their imprint on this franchise. And talk about an expanded universe that's eclipsed books and video games that are... St- expanding on the story and universe and species and language that is star wars like how could anything not be how could that not be number one we all know that Han, the han and greedo scenario we all know the sarlacc we all wish that there was more boba fett like and you and i will both face to face and to mic to mic yeah. tell everyone that there's several entries in that franchise that you and i believe are forgettable maybe more worse than 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 good i think so but yeah, man. From the la- the language of the Wookies, the language- from Bespin yeah. to Hoth to Dagobah to Kashyyyk to uh, Tatooine, like who? What are you even talking about? And anyone that knows Star Wars, is like, oh yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, that's the Wookiee planet. That's yeah. the. Th- you come have, on, man. You and have, that's just basic like map geography. You have built a world that was started in 1977 with one film that it's expanded to that. I mean, we, we're talking about John Wick expanding on, on currency and, and thumbprint like uh, debts and things like that. But this is just something that film studios and franchises aren't doing is taking a chance on a property like that that could expand and blow up into something that – how is Star Wars not the most talked about? Whether that be toys, merchandise, amusement parks now, like it's made billions I know a lot of you are out there saying, well, what about Marvel? Remember, we said the disclaimer was not pre-existing in material. Film. First entry was in film. And I would actually uh, argue, like, prior to, well, even through the MCU, we could trade punches on Star Wars versus MCU. I don't mean quality of film. Yeah. I just mean in the world that has been created. By God. Mm-hmm. For like, what's on the back of my phone case right now, Jesse? Yeah, Boba Fett. I have a Boba Fett phone case that's customed from Disneyland with my name in Mandalorian writing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you want to talk about one of the most overrated characters in any form of media. It's Boba Fett. He's got seven minutes of screen time. And I can't wait for Disney to launch the Mandalorian. Yeah, that's going to be More great. than the Ant-Man and the Wasp or WandaVision or whatever the hell we're going to do. <laughs> WandaVision. Whatever. Yeah. I want that because... That's going to be awesome. Maybe it will sate... And I hope to God it's not Better Call Saul. No. But maybe it will sate what was never played out. Mm-hmm. And that's... We haven't even started with Wookiees or... Ewoks. Yeah, Porgs or... like. <sighs> yes, it, guys, it's not... If you really it's, want to be honest, it's, it's not even close. Yeah. It's a, it's, this is a boat race. I thought about... Star Trek briefly, but that started yes. in that started in a television show. And there's some things I like in that universe, but like compared to the longevity and just the expanse of what Star Wars has done, it has to be. I mean, I, would, I, I, I would say Borg versus Endor, and who knows more. And I mean, you're right, but there's more Endor. And I would cheers George Lucas on this one. It's maybe the only cheers he's ever he's ever gonna get. <laughs> like, uh, but it's a big cheers. It's man. a big cheers. Like he, like just on the merchandising to to have the idea and the foresight to monetize action figures based on your film. Yep, it's a billion dollar a year industry just what? just on that. What? 
dude, the yeah. fact that you can get an unopened Star Wars figure that was first released of like someone as insignificant as, as Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah. And it's worth $75 to $150. Yeah. Alien can't say the same thing. As much as I wanted that $1,800 prop replica of the, the Giger Xenomorph head, which my friends didn't buy me for my bachelor party. <laughs> uh <laughs> It's it's not the same thing. It's like it's like we're talking like you mean that phallic symbol wasn't purchased for you in your yeah, bachelor. I wanted party? to put put the big dick on my um, on, on my on my on my on my bookcase. It's it's apples and oranges. So yeah, I know that's awesome. So Harry Potter. I'll just say this. My mm-hmm. wife can thank me later. Mm-hmm. Is pretty close. I'm with you, and I don't even like. Well, I, I like Harry Potter, but not. Yeah. But yes. Be, no. But, it is but because it's in books and for and brand new. Yeah. As pedestrian as I think a lot of the books are, and they are kids' books, and they're not written for me, and even though they did come out when I was a kid, uh, there's no denying J.K. Rowling's power to expand a world of magic and wizards and witches that's pretty unique. Well, and that's also like the off-mic discussions that we've had ad nauseum about the brilliance of the Twilight series as well. Oh, oh was that just me talking to no, myself? No, I, I was in a coma during those conversations. <laughs> Excellent. So this has been fun. John Wick Chapter 2. Next week, we're going to wrap up this cask with John Wick, John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. Uh, it'll be an interesting conversation, kind of seeing where this franchise is going and kind of seeing where they expand from, from Chapter 2. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. And that's a t- 2019 release. And you might not get an argument from me, Matt. That might be one of the best movies I've seen in all of 2019. And man, it's been a slog of a year. Well, I think if we're going to do that next week, then yeah. we ought to go ahead and revisit what our summer predictions were and wrap that up as well and yeah. see who our box up office winning. champs. Yeah, let's see who came out would, on top. Would make it's right. It's now's the time. Excellent. Do you remember what episode we launched that in? I believe that was. Uh, was it Godzilla? It might have been. No, God, no, it was uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer. So if you want to go back and take mm-hmm. a listen to that. You can. It's is that the it's the flight of the nightcap. I don't know. Listen mm-hmm. to the whole thing because that's a really terrific film and a good a good uh, series from us. Yes. But um, yeah, we'll see. Review that and see who won and who lost because there's a bottle at stake here going forward, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. Who's buying it? Is it Matt or Jesse? That's right. Well, excellent. I got to get going. I'm gonna go visit continental uh, Mexico. I got a feeling that one's gonna be pretty pretty. Pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm going to go compare the likenesses bes- between Christopher Walken's Continental in Saturday Night Live and John Wick's Continental and come up with a new film theory for you. There you go. Week. Do you put your, your pants on one leg at a time? <laughs> mm-hmm. Lou Holtz, I do. Excellent. We'll see you next week, everybody. Everybody have a good week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and leave us an email at rysmileproductions at gmail.com. John Wick Chapter 2 is property of Summit Entertainment, Thunder Road Pictures, 8711 Productions, and Lionsgate Films, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Tell them. Tell them all. Whoever comes, whoever it is, I'll kill them. I'll kill them all. Of course you will. <laughs>